name. Amen. All right. So um, I would like you, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, to please open your Bibles to John chapter 14. We'll be there in just a little bit. Uh, So please open your Bibles to John chapter 14. While you're going there, I'm going to go the opposite direction and head back to Exodus. Um, Because one thing that I want to... Today is the the last Sunday of our I Am series. Uh, We've been going over that for the past several weeks. And um, today is our last week of our um, I Am series. And um, what I wanted to do is I wanted to give you just um, some context of why it's even... Um, a big deal that Jesus made all these I am statements. So while you're going to John 14, I want to just kind of oversimplify the story of Moses that probably, you know, many of you know, many of us know, and that is that Moses was an Israelite little boy um, through a crazy series of events. Go read it in Exodus, uh, Exodus chapters 1 and 2 and 3. Um, Moses ends up being brought up in the Egyptian king's house and raised as his son. Uh, but then as when Moses is older, he sees uh, an, Egypt, an Egyptian uh, beating up a Hebrew, and then he murders the Egyptian, and then he runs out in the wilderness. Okay, that is the super oversimplified version of that. While he's out in the wilderness, he finds himself a wife, he has a couple kids, and then one day, he sees a burning bush. And he goes up to the burning bush, And it's God God speaks to him through this burning bush, right? And God says, you need to go uh, back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, okay? Well, then Moses asks a very crucial question, something that has not really been answered or asked so far into the Bible story. And he asks God, what is your name? They're going to ask me, who sent me back to tell Pharaoh to let, let my people go? So what is your name? Who am I supposed to say sent me? Who am I supposed to say sent me? And God says that his name is I am. And that literally looks like this. How do you say that without any vowels? There are some, there's some different ideas of how you say this word, um, There's no definite, like, yep, this is 100% the way you say this word. Um, But the word that you've probably heard, the word that you've probably heard growing up and everything is Yahweh, right? That is God's name. If God had a name tag that said, hello, my name is, it would be Yahweh. That is his personal name. You have your own first name. That is God's name right there. Now, that name is all over your Bible, but when you read your Bible, when you read your, when you read your Old Testament, when you read your Bible, you, you probably think, you, you don't see that. You don't see Yahweh, right? Like you don't, there's not many verses that say Yahweh in it. Um, and that's because in most English Bibles, YHWH is translated as Lord, and actually more specifically, it's Lord with a capital O, a capital R, and a capital D. So whenever you're reading the Bible and you said, the Lord God says such and such, or the Lord Almighty says such and such, and it's all capital letters, in the Hebrew text, it's actually actually Yahweh, and they just translate it as Lord with all capital letters. Let me give you a couple of examples of some um, differences in versions here. Because most English versions just use Lord when it says Yahweh. But there's actually one version, there's only one version that I know of that actually uses the name Yahweh. 
It's not a super well-known version of the Bible. It's called the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's a great version of the Bible. And they, when they were translating their Bible, they decided, you know what? Every time it says Yahweh, we're going to put Yahweh in there. And it's, it makes it a little different. It makes it a little bit unique. So I'm going to read that Exodus chapter 3 passage um, where God says his name. I'm going to read that uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible version to you, and then we'll compare it to another one. So here it is. This is Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Again, this is the Holman Christian Standard Bible version. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. There it is. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, this is verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Yahweh. Now compare that to another very popular version of the Bible, the English Standard Version. There might be some ESVs in here right now. Uh, but if you have an NIV or, or the New Living Translation, it's probably the same. But compare that to Exodus 3.15 of the English Standard Version, and this is what it says. God also said to Moses, say this to the Lord people, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. And again, that's a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So there's the difference. Whenever you're reading your Bible, especially the Old Testament, and you see that word Lord with all the letters capitalized, that's God's name. It's, it's, it's Yahweh, and the translators have just made the decision to translate that as Lord rather than Yahweh. And Yahweh means I am. I am. So when Jesus makes these I am statements, they pack a bigger punch than maybe we recognize in our English-speaking Bibles, in our English-speaking brains. When he says, I am the bread of heaven, we're like, awesome, you know, we, we feast on him and we're nourished by him and all that stuff. But it's, it, it, he says, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd. Those are, those are all great things that we can learn. And today we're going to talk about another one. But one thing that just makes these statements even richer even, even deeper, is that these are Jesus, this is Jesus claiming to be God. He is saying in no uncertain terms that he is God. Because sometimes he makes these statements and the relig religious leaders just freak out. And we're just like, why, why react that way? Um, for example, I, I, we're getting to John 14, I promise. You just stay there, you hang tight. But in John chapter 8, there is, there's one of these, these, one of these, um, these examples where Jesus says another I am statement that we haven't covered because he just says I am. He doesn't like say I am such and such. He just says I am. And listen to the way the religious leaders react to this. John 8, 56 through 59. And we're kind of jumping in in the middle of a conversation. So um, it's going to be kind of jarring. But Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. And he says, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. 
but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Now to us, reading that in English, we're like, that's some interesting grammar. Before Abraham was even born, I am, right? In our minds, that's like, that's interesting grammar. Why would Jesus talk like that? But when you realize that God's name is I am. These religious leaders, they knew what Jesus was saying. They, they knew and they knew that Jesus was claiming to be God. And in their brains and in their hearts, that's blasphemy. And that deserves to be stoned to death. So they picked up stones to stone him. Today's text is John 14. It's our final, our seventh and final I am statement that Jesus makes that we've been going over the, for the past several weeks. And so if you're at John 14, I encourage you to read along with me in your own Bible. If you do not have your own Bible, uh, you can follow along on the screen. We're reading John 14, verses 1 through 7. John 14, verses 1 through 7. This is Jesus speaking. This is what he says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this, were not, if this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know, and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus said, I, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. That's the, that's the text that we're going to camp out uh, for, the next, uh, for the rest of this uh, service. We're going to break down this verse little by little because I believe every little bit of this verse can be so enriching and so you can learn so much from it. And uh, we're going to look at it a little chunk by chunk. And the first thing is, if you're keeping notes, Jesus says, I am. And we've already talked about this extensively, so I won't stay here very long. But with this statement, Jesus saying, I am, this is Jesus that Jesus claims to be God. I, I have heard, uh, you know, I, I'm a high school Bible teacher. I have taught um, middle school and high school Bible for several years now. I've seen many different kids, many different types of kids come in and out of my classroom, believers, non-believers, skeptics, doubters. I've seen them all. I've talked to many of them. They have, many of them are quite upfront when they're like, I don't believe in God. I think all of this is silly. Or they'll say, yes, of course I do believe in God. And, you know, I, and you get people all over all over the spectrum of belief. And probably one of the most frustrating things I hear is when I hear people say, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. If you just read the Bible for yourself, you'll see that never once does he actually himself claim to be God. And that is just, when someone says that, you know they themselves have never actually read the Bible. They just heard that from somebody else. Someone has just simply told them, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. And they're like, oh, that's a little fun fact. I guess I'll just share that with everybody I hear. Because if someone ever says that to you, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. All that simply tells you is that they've never read the Bible. Because time and time and time again, Jesus clearly claims to be God. And this is just one of the times. 
Um, I know you hear a lot of sermons. I know you hear a lot of lessons, so I don't expect you to remember every sermon you've ever heard. Uh, but like six-ish months ago, I preached a little two-week series um, on apologetics. And we went, uh, apologetics, for those of you who, who don't know, apologetics is uh, the, the study of defending Christianity with evidence, defending Christianity with facts, defending Christianity with science and history and logic. And one of the arguments we went over was the historical argument, right? It was the story of, or it was the argument that Jesus, number one, existed. That's a true historical fact. It's backed up by the Bible, but even if you're like, well, I don't believe the Bible. Okay, well, it's backed up by over 50 extra biblical books that were written at that exact same time. Jesus existed, and number two, Jesus claimed to be God. And so everybody, in the, and that's also backed up by the Bible, but even if you're like, well, I don't believe the Bible, well, you have all these other extra-biblical books where you can also see that he claimed to be God. And if Jesus existed, and if Jesus claimed to be God, then everybody in this room, everybody hearing my voice, everybody watching this, you have to come to one of three conclusions. Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Everybody in this room has to come down to one of those conclusions. You cannot just simply say, well, I believe that Jesus was a good teacher. You can say that, but you can't stay there. You can say that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was crazy. Because if you don't believe Jesus is Lord, then you have, you have no fourth or fifth option. And everybody in here has to. Everybody in here listening has to decide. You either believe Jesus was lying about being God, crazy about being God, or he was telling the truth. Those are the only three options you have. So that's the next part in your notes is Jesus was either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. And, then just, to, and just to give you the brief um, um, oversimplified version of all that is the reason why you can know Jesus wasn't a liar, the biggest number one reason why you can know Jesus was not a liar is because of the way that he was executed. Jesus claimed to be God and it got him killed. And, and not, not only that, but he experienced a whole life of persecution. So he experiences these several years of persecution and then extreme persecution and a flogging and a beating and then a crucifixion, which is known as the most painful means of execution in human history. And never once during that whole persecution and execution process, never once does Jesus ever say, you got me. I was just lying. I'm, I'm, I'm not God's son. Please stop beating me. Never once does he do that. Any person in the right mind would do that. No sane person dies for a lie. So how do we know Jesus wasn't crazy? And the simple answer for that is just there's no evidence for it, and there's all the evidence for the opposite. Look, read through the Bible and show me what signs of insanity you see. Modern-day psychologists have studied the life of Christ, and there's just no signs of mental instability. You never see Jesus off in the corner just talking to a tree. You never see Jesus laughing at the wrong time or crying at the wrong time. We do that, right? Even though we like to think of ourselves as pretty mentally stable people, we are the ones who might laugh when it's not super appropriate, right? But Jesus never has any um, episodes of that. And all the signs point to that he was completely in the right mind. He has the right emotional responses. What does he do when Lazarus dies? He cries. 
That's a normal human reaction, right? What does he do um, when he walks into the temple and he sees all of the people disrespecting his father's house? What happens then? He gets angry. That's a normal human response. He, when he looks at the crowds of people and he sees that they look like sheep without a shepherd, the Bible says that he had compassion for them. That is a normal human response. And if Jesus wasn't a liar, and if Jesus wasn't crazy, the only, the only intelligent option, the next blank for you, the only intelligent option is Lord. The only intelligent option is Lord. Okay, so let's get through the rest of the statement here. So we got I am. So what does he say? I am the way. The first thing he says is I am the way. Now notice with all three of these things, the way, the truth, and the life, he uses the word the and not the word a. There is a big difference. I'm not the English major in my family. I'll leave that to Kendall. He is the English major in, in my little bubble. Um, but there is some things I know when it comes to the English language. And that is there is a big difference between the and a. You put the word a where there should be a the, you push the word the where there should be an a, totally changes the sentence, right? If someone says uh, that they are um, going to go back to, if you're in college or something and you're going to go back to your dorm to study, they might say something like, well, I need to go back to my room and it's time to hit the books, right? But if someone says to you, I'm going to go back to my room, it's time to hit a book. Well, what did the book do to you? Why are you hitting a book, sir? Okay. Or, you know, if, for those of you who are, like, really into the NFL, you might be talking to your friends about, you know, a game that's coming up, and you'd be like, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs are the football team to watch right now. They're just, they're great. They do, they do a lot of things well. The Kansas City Chiefs, they are the football team to watch right now. You know what that means. You know that they're really good. But, you know, if someone says the Dallas Cowboys are a team to watch, I mean, they're trying. Their moms are really proud of them. <laughs> totally different statement. Totally different. Or ladies, you know, if you're in the dating world and, you know, after a while, um, the guy just looks at you and says, you know what, you are the wife for me. You know, that could be kind of sweet and maybe a proposal's on its way or something. But if he looks at you and says, you are a wife for me, <laughs> you might want to break up with him right then and there. <laughs> you might have some different worldviews going on at that point. Big difference between the and a. And Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus is not one way of many. Jesus clearly says, I am the way. Jesus did not go through the persecution and the execution, the, the, the beatings and the death so that God had, well, God had 322 ways for you to get to him. But since Jesus went through all that persecution and death, now you have 323 ways to God. When people, are, when people say stuff to me like, Christianity is just one way of many to get to God. You know, you can get to God through this belief system, and you can get to God through this belief system. Christianity is just another way to get to God. 
How disrespectful is that to Jesus? For one, he explicitly says right there, I am the way. And then later on in this verse, he'll say, no one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus makes it very clear that he is the one and only way. But even beyond that, think, again, I know I keep going back to it, but think of the persecution and the beatings and the death he experienced. Imagine him doing all that just so God could have a, um, a 323rd way for you to get to him. Jesus says very clearly that he is the way. He is not one way of many. Now, some people say that's a very narrow-minded mindset. How could you possibly... How could you possibly say that yours is the one and only way? Well, we know that Jesus is Lord. We've already talked about that. And this is his claim. He has made the claim that he is the way. And yes, for those of you taking notes, here's the next one. Yes, Christianity is exclusive. Christianity is exclusive because Jesus is the only way while also being inclusive. Because all are welcome. Truly all. Virtually no other belief system can say that. Truly all are welcome. It does not matter your religious black background. It does not matter your income, your social status. It does not matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your physical location of being born or brought up. Truly all. What other belief system, what other business, what other organization can truly say that? So Christianity is exclusive is in that there is only one way to heaven. It is Jesus and only Jesus. It is the one true biblical Jesus. He is the only, you can't even make up your own version of Jesus. It has to be the one true biblical Jesus. He is the only way to heaven, but it is incredibly, absolutely inclusive in that it is open to all. Everybody in this room is welcome. Not a single person in this room is not welcome. It is open to everybody. Next, Jesus says, I am the truth. The truth. And so I have a question for you. What is your source of truth? Truth is a, a big hot topic these days. I've heard we live in a post-truth world where everybody gets their own version of the truth and we all have to accept each other's version of the truth. Is there any such thing anymore as absolute truth? You know, you even hear people say, There's no, there, there is no such thing as absolute truth. And I just want to ask them, is that absolutely true? We have to have a source of absolute truth um, to, know, to know what's right and know what's wrong. Right? We have to have a source of absolute truth to know what is right and to know what is wrong. Because whether we like it or not, we, we have to have a foundation for our truth. And for those people who don't believe in God, they remove that. It's not like that just goes away. Something has to fill that void. Something has to go back into that slot. And for most of us, we, even if you're Christians, most of us, sometimes we put ourselves right there. Boop. I am the source of truth now. Or we put a celebrity there, or we put a doctor there, or we put someone that we, we put a politician there, we put a, a news organization there, we put some other, um, we put something else 
as that slot, in that slot of where we get our truth from. But the thing is about all those other things, all of them change. All of them can change. I mean, if you're really honest with yourself, there's probably some really strong opinions that you have today that you probably had the opposite strong opinion about five years ago, ten years ago, whatever. We, we fluctuate. Everybody, every human, every human that you know fluctuates in what they believe or what they want to be true or what they don't want to be true, and we go back and forth sometimes. The only good source, the only good source for unchanging truth is an unchanging source. And Jesus is the only good source of all truth. God's word, God, broadly speaking, God, God's word is the only good source for unchanging truth because it is unchanging. If you want to know the truth about marriage, you see what Jesus has to say about it, not what society has to say about it. If you want to know the truth about fill in the blank, your first and foremost um, place to go should be God's word. That should be your primary place to go. Jesus, God, is, is an unchanging source, and so he is the only good source of unchanging truth. So Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus says, I am the truth. And then lastly, Jesus says, I am the life. What does he mean by I am the life? I believe that there are two really key things that we can take out of this, um, this one, the life. And one has to deal with the temporary, and one has to deal with the eternal. First, Jesus says, I am the life. Jesus is the only one who can, who can provide a meaningful life for us here on earth. A truly meaningful life, like an, like an objectively meaningful life. You can find little meaningful, you can find little temporary meaningful things you want to give yourself like maybe when you were younger, you, you found meaning in your friends. Well, then your friend, you, you know, eventually you all grew up and you kind of, maybe you grew distant from some of them. So then you're going to find meaning um, in sports. Well, then you got too old for that and you couldn't, go to, you couldn't go so far in sports. So eventually that lost its meaning to you. So now I'm going to find meaning in my education. And then that kind of went away as well. Well, now I'm going to find meaning in uh, relationships again. I'm going to go out and try to find a spouse. I'm going to try to, uh, I'm going to have a relation, I'm going to find my meaning in family. I'm going to find meaning in career. I'm going to find meaning in fill in the blank. But the thing about every single one of those is that they are temporary and they can be taken from you in a second. And so if you're finding your meaning in those things, you're building your meaning house on sand. It might stand for a little while. It might stand for the rest of your life but it's not guaranteed. Jesus is the rock that you should build your house on because that is where you can have meaning, permanent, objective meaning for the rest of your life here on earth. The things you do today have eternal implications. Now, usually sometimes pastors will say that and that has like a negative meaning to it, like the things you do now will matter for eternity, and they do. But think about that in the, the, the positive way that it means. Like, that means that if, if you invited someone here today, like if they're in this room right now because you invited them, uh, that has eternal implications. 
you, could, you maybe, you were a part of their um, salvation process because you invited them today. And maybe they didn't even show up, but it was the beginning step of a longer process. When you talk to someone about Jesus, that has eternal implications to it. Not just temporary implications, but eternal implications. Jesus is the only one who can provide a meaningful life for us here on earth. John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life, but what? Have it to the full. He is the only one who can provide a meaningful life here on earth. Secondly, when it comes to the life, Jesus is the only one who can provide eternal life for us in heaven. Romans 6.23 says that the wages, of the wages, the payment, what you deserve, right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the only, only one who can provide us a meaningful life here on earth, and he's the only one who can provide us eternal life in heaven. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And then he finishes this verse, he finishes this verse, this uh, John 14 verse, by saying, no one gets to the Father except through me. Kind of goes back to um, the very first, the way. I am the way. And no one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus is not one way of many. He is the only way. And like I said at the beginning, Christianity is exclusive. It is just one way to heaven. But it's inclusive in that it is open to everybody. Anybody in this room, doesn't matter your age, you could be 100. Doesn't matter your religious background. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. It is open to all. And for those of you who have not made that decision, it's open to you right now. What are you waiting for? The worship team can come on up. I, I, I cannot encourage you enough to make that choice now. If you are on the fence, if you've been thinking about it, I cannot encourage you enough right now that you make that choice. Today is the day. I'm done. I'm done waiting around. I'm done waiting to get my life together. I'm done waiting to do this or to do that. Today is your day. No one gets to the Father except through him. And I cannot encourage you enough to get off that fence and to say, you know what? I'm making the choice. I'm making the choice today. I'm going to give my life to Christ. There's going to be someone up here during this song of invitation. And if you're ready to make that decision today, I encourage you to make it today. And if you're like, well, I'm not prepared. I didn't bring a change of clothes. We got all that covered. Oh, what if I get my hair wet? I don't have a blow dryer. We got all that covered. All of it. Don't use any excuse that you have. If you're ready to make that choice, make that choice. Make it today. Don't wait till tomorrow because tomorrow's not promised. Make that choice today. I'm going to close us in prayer. And um, when I finish in prayer, I encourage you to stand and sing this closing song. And if you're ready to make that choice, 
make it today because no one gets to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.